the Blaze Radio Network. On demand. Glenn Beck. The Blaze Radio Network. Welcome to the program, Stephen Pinker. How are you? <laughs> Fine, thank you, Glenn. Uh, so, so, Stephen, I am fascinated um, by uh, what you're writing about in the book. But let me, let me start here. It is, Stu, do you have some of the stats? It is... I'm a catastrophe. I'm an optimistic catastrophist. Um, and I see catastrophe everywhere. But I really believe that if we use our brain and we are and we we root ourselves in some basic principles, we're going to be OK. I read your book and you get stats like this. Go ahead. Uh, over the course of the 20th century, Americans became 96 percent less likely to be killed in a car accident, 88 percent less likely to be mowed down on the sidewalk, 99 percent less likely to die in a plane crash, 59 percent less likely to fall to their deaths, 92 percent less likely to die by fire, 90 percent less likely to drown, 92 percent less likely to be asphyxiated and 95 percent less likely to be killed on the job. I just had a guest on last hour said it's harder than ever to accomplish the American dream. And I said, I don't think that's true. I don't think that's true. Stephen, help us out on that. Start with the positives yeah. that are happening. Yes, the uh, most obvious positive is that people worldwide are living longer. You know, for most of human history, uh, a newborn baby could be expected to live on average around 30 years. Uh, today, it's 71 years across the world, and it's more than 80 years in the developed world. So that, that's a, a start. Um, it used to be that uh, only um, a small percentage of people could read or write. Now, 90% of the world's population under the age of 25 can read, or, read and write. Uh, the number of wars has been decreasing. In fact, when Colombia signed a peace agreement with the FARC guerrillas last year, they brought an end to the last war in the Western Hemisphere. So an entire hemisphere is free of war. In fact, five-sixths of the world is now free of war. Um, the crime rate is down in um, uh, worldwide and certainly in the United States. It's half of what it was in the 70s and 80s and early 90s. Um, uh, global poverty uh, has been decimated, has been slashed. Now less than 10% of the world's population meets the definition of extreme poverty. It used to be 90%, so the, the percentages have, uh, have absolutely flipped. Uh, we have uh, an additional eight hours of leisure time just since the 1960s. Uh, we, of course, can access the world's culture uh, with a device that we have in our, our shirt pocket. When I was a student, if you wanted to see a classic movie like Casablanca or The Seventh Seal, you had to wait years for it to be shown at a local repertory theater if you were lucky enough to live in a city that had a repertory theater uh, mm -hmm. or on late night television. Now, any movie you want to see, you can stream on demand. Uh, and that, that's true of, uh, of art, of music, of culture. Steve, so in, in, go ahead. Sorry. Yeah, in area after area, uh, even though you, it's hard to recognize it when you read the news because the news is about everything that goes wrong. Uh, but uh, our lives really have improved. And in a majority of countries, people say they're happier than they were uh, decades ago. So the Cleveland Clinic came out last week and they said that no longer is hunger the problem in the world. It, for the very first time, it's obesity is beating malnutrition. And well, that's certainly true. Yes, it's certainly true in the, in the, the developed world. And, uh, of course, obesity is a problem. But as problems go, it's a better problem to have. Oh, yeah. <laughs> it really is. Yes, it, yes, it is. Yeah. But, but I didn't see that anywhere in the news. And all I heard about was how kids killing kids in schools because of guns 
uh, how that's just getting out of control. Well, it's, you know, uh, there are, um, the fact that there's been improvement doesn't mean that there's perfection, that there's utopia. There are always going to be problems. And we have to deal with problems as they arise in the, in the most intelligent way possible, using data, using um, trying out policies, see what works, learn from our neighbors who've tried out policies. Because no, no one is omniscient. No one knows what's going to work just sitting in the armchair, just from their sheer brain power. None of us is that smart. We've got to let the world tell us what works and what doesn't work and use the entire world as a laboratory. Look at other countries, see what they've done. Look at what different states have done. Uh, This is, of course, an old American uh, idea that the states are laboratories Hmm. and uh, we should learn from the policies that work. It's kind of a scientific approach to uh, dealing with policy and politics, which I uh, certainly advocate above our our current tribal attitude, where each side believes the other other side is evil. So that's kind of where I want to go, because your your book really is, it, it sets the, the, the case out early on about the Enlightenment, and that what we're really losing here is the ability to think and to discuss and to even recognize facts. Um, I don't know if you saw in the news yesterday, but Cambridge Analytica, the, uh, the, the, the people that were trying to manipulate the election said that facts don't matter anymore. It's all about feeling. Yes, and I mean, you know, and many politicians have uh, uh, sensed that for a while. That uh, the way to mobilize people behind you is to whip up their emotions. Um, I think it's a bit—it's an exaggeration to say that that uh, facts don't matter. Uh, you know, Pearl Harbor really did happen, and nine eleven happened, and uh, we recognized um, racial discrimination in the in the fifties and sixties. And uh, so I think that it's a bit of an exaggeration. We're not living in a total fantasy world, but of course there are demagogues who will manipulate, uh, facts. There are, there have always been, uh, you know, liars and, uh, and distorters of facts. And of course, for the health of our democracy, we've got to do everything possible to keep in touch with reality, to minimize the demagoguery where a politician will will uh, either defy facts or or uh, distort them. So, and that's what a free free press is for, among oh. other things. So, are we getting that though? I mean, you know, the majority now, fifty percent of millennials are getting their news from Facebook alone, uh, and and I don't think that, nobody is being taught uh, critical thinking, and uh, no. and and they're being taught what to think, not how to think, and. People don't, I don't think, even understand how to find uh, facts anymore. Uh, yeah, I, I agree that uh, we need better critical thinking instruction uh, at, at every stage of education, but, but, uh, but starting young. Because uh, uh, cognitive psychologists, and that, that's my specialty, I'm a cognitive psychologist, uh, have shown that, that we're, uh, it's very easy to slip into irrationality. The, the human mind wasn't designed for modern statistics and mathematics and logic. Uh, you know, we, 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 our mind is designed for small-scale villages and tribes. Uh, we have all these fantastic tools now where we can correct our, our errors and our biases, and uh, we, we do have to learn to use them because it doesn't come naturally. We're left to our own devices. A human being will just think in stereotypes and uh, will generalize from their own experience. Uh, we seek evidence that confirms our beliefs and, and don't 
pay attention to evidence that disconfirms them, our beliefs. So there are a lot of ways in which we naturally are uh, irrational. But these are obviously correctable. They, they must be because uh, we wouldn't know that they were fallacies unless we had some kind of standard of what's rational to compare them against. And of course, we've, we've you know, we sent a man to the moon and we've eliminated smallpox and we live longer and we, we design cars and planes. So we're all obviously capable of rationality. And the trick is to kind of instill a uh, rational thinking. And I agree as young as possible. Okay. So Stephen, I'm going to take a break. And when we come back, will you just take us through, um, you know, a kind of a 101 on critical thinking and how, to, how do we break that? How do we turn the tide on that? How do we get away from our emotions uh, and, and start really just, as Thomas Jefferson said, fix reason firmly in her seat. How do we do that on a, on a mass scale or even in our own individual lives? Stephen, can you go over just a, a, a little bit? And if you want to mix in, however you want to do this, but I have two questions. One, can you give us a little 101 on critical thinking? And, and two, you know, what the Enlightenment means and why losing that, we, do we lose really America and the West? Yeah, so an uh, example of critical thinking would, would be to uh, examine the kind of fallacies that the human mind just naturally makes unless it's, uh, it's well-educated. So just give you an example. I mean, many people have the experience where they had a dream that something happened to, uh, bad happened to a loved one and uh, call them up, find out, oh, they, they, they broke their toe that day. So they think, oh, I've got clairvoyance. I can actually uh, sense things that I don't know about through you know, vibrations or some sort of kitschy uh, energy fields. Uh, but the thing is, the, that's a failure of critical thinking because we don't take into account the thousands of times that we have dreams that uh, don't predict the future. Uh, we forget all of those. We remember the, the lucky hits. And so we falsely conclude that there is something uh, spooky going on. Or another example is uh, the, the so-called gambler's fallacy. If uh, you're at the roulette table and you get red five times in a row and so you bet on black thinking, well, it's, it's bound to come up black now uh, because it's, uh, you think the idea, well, it's 50% red, 50% black. It's so far, it's a lot of red, so it's due for a black. Now, that can't be true because the roulette wheel doesn't have any memory. It doesn't have any desire to appear f- fair. It's a misunderstanding of randomness. People think that the law of averages means that the numbers are trying to appear 50-50, whereas the reality, of course, is that if there's any chance deviation, then it'll be diluted when there are more and more uh, spins in the future. Uh, And we tend to underestimate randomness. We think we see patterns in everything, and we forget about how many, um, uh, the vast number of possibilities for coincidences. We're just surrounded by numbers. We're surrounded by events. I mean, who's to say that you might not look out the car window, see a license plate in front of you, and maybe it's almost like your telephone number. Uh, that, that just is going to happen by the law of averages, but people see deep meanings in them. So critical thinking uh, is to, uh, the, the point is to uh, teach people to avoid falling into these traps. Um, also, uh, a, to recognize that uh, since we, it feels so good to have your beliefs confirmed, uh, that uh, you feel noble, you feel wise, you feel like your own team, your own tribe is uh, superior. So we concentrate on all of the stories and, 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 and studies and opinions that back up the opinion that we have in the first place. And we ignore all of the uh, criticisms, the studies that may not come out our way and get more and more 
uh, positive about our, our beliefs. This is another trap that we fall into. And we know it's a trap because we know that people in the past believed things that, uh, that weren't true. People believed that the world was flat. Um, people believed that racial segregation was uh, just the, the, the natural order of, of uh, things. Um, but how do so, we how do we how do we break this this team thing that we're in now that, um, you know, we're willing to switch long held principles because our team, it benefits our team or whatever. How do you hold on to uh, things that are true when they when they don't work your way, when society is pushing the other direction? Yeah, it's a, it's a huge challenge and I don't have an easy answer. But certainly being aware of the problem is a place to start, just to know that we're all human beings, we all have weaknesses, uh, and one of them is this kind of tribal team thinking. Uh, there is a truth out there, and none of us knows it for sure. We've got to, it's a constant struggle to, to, to uh, learn. We can be mistaken, and we, we should uh, recognize our fallibility and recognize our uh, uh, tendency to fall into supporting whatever is good for the team, which is not necessarily what, what the truth is. I mean, it's really the, the attitude and mindset of, of science. If you're doing science properly, you're letting the world tell you which of your beliefs are, are true or false. You don't kind of walk in with uh, with certainty. Uh, of course, scientists are human, and they do that. But uh, that's why we have debate and argument and peer review, so that uh, no matter how confident you are in your beliefs, if the experiments show that you're wrong, or if there's a flaw in your logic, uh, then there'll be other people who will uh, argue against you. Steve, but we need more of that mindset, I think, in the political arena. Uh, Steven Pinker is joining us. He's the author of the book Enlightenment Now, which is it's an absolute must read. Can you give me let's take you through because you you talk about this in the book that um, uh, income inequality is not necessarily what we you know, we're not thinking it uh, through. It's not necessarily the problem that most people seem to think that it is. Can you take us through that? Yeah, I, uh, I have a chapter on income inequality because it's uh, something that, that has increased within uh, rich countries. And people often say, well, how much progress can there really be if we have all this income inequality? And I, I suggest that the, that the problem is, is kind of misconceived, that it's not so much inequality that's the problem. But there are other problems. Certainly, if, if uh, the, the rich can buy elections or, or uh, just pour money in and, and have politicians uh, do what's in their interest. That that's a problem for democracy, but that's not the same as income inequality. That's mm-hmm. a problem with our uh, laws that that allow unregulated donations and without transparency. There's also, of course, you do have to uh, be concerned with uh, with kids, with the elderly, with the unlucky, with the sick at the bottom end of the scale. Uh, and I, I certainly believe in the, the kind of programs that we have, like Social Security and earned income tax credit, that, you know, it, it's almost a dirty word to call it redistribution. But there's, there's a little bit of that. And all countries do it, all, all wealthy countries. Um, and it really has helped the poor with the poverty rate. It, taking into account government benefits has uh, declined in, in, the, in 1960, about a third of Americans fell below the poverty line when you measure it in terms of uh, after-tax income. Now it's more like uh, 6 or 7%. Um, and I think we should concentrate our efforts more on um, helping the people at the bottom than worrying about the gap between the top and the bottom. Um, is, aren't we better, though, in poverty, not because of social programs, but because this system actually works? 
Uh, yeah, I think there's there's a, a sum of each. Certainly, the fact that we've got this fantastic uh, wealth generating uh, uh, machine called Markets uh, has uh, done uh, wonders for poverty both at home and across the world. So when China switched from um, uh, state control and, and uh, dogmatic communism under mm-hmm. Mao to free markets, they got. Uh, it made a huge dent in world poverty just because hundreds of millions of Chinese were lifted out of uh, squalor and peasant existence to a kind of middle class existence. Foreign policies, uh, world's top 100 public intellectuals, not elitists, intellectuals, <laughs> somebody who is pushing for return of the Enlightenment and is very, very optimistic and hopeful. His book is called Enlightenment Now. And the book is filled with stuff that's really positive. And I mean this without hyperbole. It, it is the greatest human achievement in history. The things that have happened over the past hundred years. Yes. I mean, things have improved that much. And Stephen, I wanted to ask you, you talk about this in the book, of we, 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 when faced with really positive things like the reduction in poverty, we as human beings tend to still search out the negative we we tend to always you know oh wow you know poverty is down by so much but look at uh you know look at this recent incident of of violence look at uh you know this problem with our food supply look at this chemical we found somewhere in the water we're always looking for something to bring us back to the negative why is that yeah in in some measure that's good that we don't get uh, complacent and it's because our ancestors of course were concerned about the problems in their era that they came up with solutions and it's only good that we be aware of the problems that remain and some problems that might even be bigger than ever so that we we uh, tackle them but it is true that uh, we tend not to appreciate the progress that we've made, partly because we're 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 wired for negativity uh, we we are much more worried about uh, losses and what can go wrong than what has gone right. And again, there's something uh, somewhat adaptive about that because there are just the, the things that can go wrong can do you much more harm than the things that can go right can, can help you. I mean, just think about how many things could happen to you today that would make you much worse off. How many things could happen that would make you much better off? Well, the, the first one is a, a longer list. And indeed, we're, we're right to uh, be concerned about them. But it, it can, but I think we, we've taken that too far because if we don't appreciate the progress that we've made, we can throw our hands up and say it, it's hopeless, it's intractable, it's, uh, we're, we're doomed, so let's enjoy ourselves while we can and not even try to solve these problems yeah. because they're uh, unsolvable. Mm-hmm. That, that is a danger. I think we can also uh, welcome in radicals who say, well, the system is failing so badly, let's just bulldoze everything because anything that comes up out of the rubble has got to be better than what we have now. And that's dangerous, too, because we know from from uh, Nazi Germany, from Maoist China, from Venezuela, that if you have radical change in the hope that uh, nothing could be worse, uh, things can get a lot worse. (laughs) And it kind of goes back to the theme of the book of the Enlightenment. You you said something um, earlier in the interview where you you said, you know, we, we we have to look at where things have worked. That's what our founders did when they put this together. They didn't. They, they didn't like Iceland. Say, hey, tweet us your constitutional clauses. Uh, they they <laughs> they did a lot of research on history, and they scoured history to say this worked, this didn't. When it didn't work, why didn't it? Um, and 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 it was the the spirit of open questioning, open examination, without a team jersey. Do we? Do, that, that's exactly. Go ahead. That's exactly right. When people 
say, uh, kind of wonder, well, are you saying that we should go and read a bunch of uh, difficult European philosophers? Does it mean we have to all read up Immanuel Kant? And say, well, no, the greatest enlightenment, the most prominent enlightenment thinkers were our own founders and framers, Jefferson and Madison and uh, Hamilton and Adams. They were all enlightenment thinkers. And exactly as he said, they tried to reason their way to the best possible system of government, in large part by looking at at, uh, history and what had gone wrong and trying to learn from the mistakes of people in the past. And it's it's really just a I mean, my life changed when I read um Two things. Immanuel Kant, where he said, uh, there are many things that I believe that I shall never say, but I shall never say the things that I do not believe. I didn't understand when I read that. I thought, I don't even understand a world where you're afraid to say, you know, what you believe. I do now. I understand that now. Uh, And the other thing was from Thomas Jefferson. Fix reason firmly in her seat and question with boldness even the very existence of God. For if there be a God, he must surely rather honest questioning over blindfolded fear. That's just a challenge. Both of those, as, as Kant said, dare to reason. Dare to understand, dare to reason. Exactly right. That is the that would have to be the the, the motto of the Enlightenment if there was one. And we we are the beneficiaries of the Enlightenment whenever we enjoy uh, the freedom of American democracy. But we are we are now kind of, as I see it, locked horns in a three way fight of postmodernism that nothing is real, um, tribalism, and a few that are saying no 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 let let's let's let's. Let's challenge. There's a lot of good stuff ahead, but we've got some really heavy lifting to do mentally. Let's sit down and have that conversation and come together. Which one is... Well, that, that, go ahead. Yeah, that's right. That, that, that is my, uh, largely my argument in, in Enlightenment now, that, uh, the, that tribalism uh, is a real threat to the ideals of American democracy, the idea that, uh, that uh, Americans, or for that matter, any other nation... Uh, should be ethnically homogeneous and should just compete for greatness against every other nation also competing for greatness. We, we kind of tried that. We got World War I, we got World War II, and the idea that, we, that nations can, uh, number one, they can coexist because uh, there are many things that benefit everyone, uh, that it's not a question if, if one wins, the other one loses. And trade, of course, is the, the, uh, the, the yeah. prime example. But also that America is based on, on an idea, on a social contract, that uh, there's no such thing as an ethnic uh, American. Uh, you can be Protestant or Catholic or Jewish or black or white or German or Italian um, or, or uh, Hispanic. Uh, we came together under an idea that governments can, uh, if they're designed with the interests of the people in mind, can enhance people's life, liberty and pursuit of happiness. That's why we have a government uh, and um, the, the government is not just a uh, kind of an embodiment of a tribe. It's a, it's a gadget. It's a gadget designed to make us happier. And we've got to design it so that it will do exactly that. So why is it really designed to, I mean, I read the Declaration of Independence and, you know, it is our it is our uh, not only our right, but our duty to uh, reform a government if it becomes hostile to the rights it's supposed to protect. But what is interesting in the Declaration of Independence, it says it just don't, you know, just don't shake it off and go, well, that didn't work. Let's come up with something else. You have to shake it off and replace it with something that is better at uh, defending those rights. That's right. And and, and they said government shouldn't be rejected for, for light and transitory purposes. Right. 
So don't think every time you have a complaint about government not working, don't think that it's time to overthrow the government uh, because you could end up with something much, much worse. And of course, we know that that uh, there, there are a lot of ways in which uh, good democracy learns from its mistakes and reforms itself. I, I, and we should continue that process. I've only got a, a few more minutes left with you, and I've got two questions that um, maybe you can try to condense uh, uh, quickly. Um, I, I'm I am very optimistic because I believe that freedom, unlike anybody has ever imagined, is right over the in the next ten years because of technology. But because uh, you know, I I, I read enough uh, on. AI, ASI, AGI. I'm, I'm, I'm also very concerned. You know that we're. We, I'm, I'm concerned about the goals that we are going to be putting in to you know AGI. Where, where do you stand on this? Are you, are you optimistic that we make this transition or not? Yes, about uh, artificial general intelligence. Yes, I think any new technology has uh, potential for for harms and dangers, and that was true of the technologies of the past. When when cars were introduced on the, on the roads, uh, a lot of people got killed before but there's, they were but, traffic but laws, on, safety measures. But on this one, the argument is you really have one shot to get it right. Uh, yeah, and I'm 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 skeptical of that. Okay, the, uh, just knowing people doing artificial intelligence research. Now, I'll tell you, you know, it's really really hard. The idea that we are going to come up with a magic formula and, and the magic algorithm and have a system that's not only going to be brilliant but improve its own intelligence uh, uh-huh. in, 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 in zooming upwards, uh, I think there's a reason to be skeptical. That there's a lot of fails. It's a trial and error process. And of course, we have to build in safety safeguards uh, as we develop them. But uh, I don't think it's going to shoot up beyond what we can control. And I do have a discussion of that in, in Enlightenment now. Um, let me uh, uh, let me just let me close with this. There is something new going on, uh, I think, uh, and it is a willingness to break the barriers. And I, I, I first started feeling it about. I don't know, six years ago in, in Silicon Valley, where it was beyond the tribes. It was beyond left and right uh, with some, not all. Uh, and they were interesting conversations. And now there are thinkers like Jordan Peterson, Ben Shapiro, of course, you know, yourself, the, the Weinsteins. Do you sense that there's a new enlightenment that is beginning? Um, I, you know, I, I sure hope so, and uh, it can't all be people who agree with each other, but sure. there, should, there has to be an, a forum for debate so that the bad ideas can be uh, uh, winnowed out and the good ideas can survive on, on their merits. But I do think that, yeah, that there are closed uh, forums in, uh, in, in radio, in academia, in government, and if we open them up and have people hear opinions that they're not so used to, to get out of their comfort zone, then, uh, then, then, then uh, that's essential to further progress. Steven Pinker, thank you so much. Appreciate it. Thanks for having me. You bet. Bye-bye. The book is Enlightenment Now uh, from Steven Pinker, The Case for Reason, Science, Humanism, and Progress, and does outline, I believe, the biggest story in the world. It's the biggest story in the world. Uh, the in world history. In world history. It really yeah. is, and we never focus on it. This has all happened largely in our lifetimes. Uh, in our country. In our country, and it's it's, ama- it's amazing. My favorite uh, Steven Pinker story, which of, of which I have one before this interview, <laughs> right. okay. uh, was uh, I was reading The Better Angels of Our Nature, which goes into 
uh, one big focus of it is talking about how you know a lot of people think violence is constantly getting worse and he in gruesome detail yes. goes through how bad things yes. used to be in You're the world. Like, you'll read it i read parts of it to my wife and i'd be like read it i'd be like Good heavens! <laughs> really Listen does. to this, yeah. and you just be like, "Oh my god, I am really glad." Yeah, <laughs> even if I were born in a prison in Mexico today, I'm glad I was born today. Right? Yeah, <laughs> exactly. <laughs> and you really get the sense, you know, it's 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 better. And one of the points he makes, and he goes through in in great detail of how we have this idea that wars are always, we're always afraid of these flamed up wars all over the world and there's always this constant conflict and it's of course real at some level but it's actually getting better less people are dying in wars now than they have in a very long time and i kind of just blurted that out on the air one day in a, in a conversation and you know when we get fact checked by these organizations it's always some conservative thing and it's always they always beat us up and and mm. go crazy on those things for whatever reason politifact fact check my statement that people are dying less frequently in wars and again that was something i got Big from time. steven pinker and of course when you get fact checked you're like crap like did i get something wrong yeah. what did i do well they actually fact checked it with steven pinker they call them <laughs> up and they said, hey, is this true, what this idiot on the radio said? And, of course, it was true because it came from Steven Pinker's book. <laughs> uh, so they actually fact-checked my claim with my source. That's funny. Uh, and, they, and they still only gave me mostly true, which I... Unbelievable. To this day. Unbelievable. He's, he's an amazing writer. <laughs> so you know he's a humanist. So he is, especially in that last book, he does not like religion at all. No, he's not a fan. Uh, not, not a fan. fan. And there's times when he was like, and another thing, marshmallow peeps. <laughs> like, okay, Stephen. You know what he said? You know, we don't all have to agree. We, you know, we, we can't all agree with each other. And I really wanted to say, oh, Stephen, you and I don't agree on a lot of stuff. Yeah, but when you can go through an hour interview like that, yeah. right? And this, and this has happened with Penn Jillette as well yeah. with you. You know, you totally disagree with Penn Jillette I, on religion. But if you can talk for an hour like that and sense something sensible and get real, get something out of it, yeah. there's no reason you can't talk about those difficult topics with those same people. Well, it's, it's, also, it's also, as Penn and I talk about, we could work hard on solving problems and it would be, as he says, 30 years before we'd ever get to a place to like, oh, yeah. <laughs> I mean, there's a lot of stuff that we can solve that we agree on. Glenn Beck. The Blaze Radio Network.